So once more, we are in the book of Galatians. Our focus this morning will be on verses 11 through 18 of chapter 6. But I would like to read the opening paragraph of the letter, as well as the closing paragraph of the letter. Galatians 1, 1 through 4. Paul, an apostle, not sent through men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. In the final paragraph, Galatians 6, verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Let us pray. Truly, the, the words of the, the hymn that we have just sung uh, echo the scriptures. That by this sacrifice, by the bleeding of our Lord and Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we now have confidence to draw nigh, have confidence to come before your throne, not by anything that we have done, any merit, any works, anything in us, but by the bleeding Christ, the one who has sacrificed himself to draw his people to himself. We ask that you would help us to understand these things, help us to glory as the apostle did in this in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would walk in this rule. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you're looking for a classic Pauline ending to the letter, you will be disappointed. This is, this is no standard cookie-cutter PS to the letter. I came across the title of a book that I have not read called Forgotten Endings or neglected endings, I think is the title. Someone wrote about the letters of Paul and the endings and how we, we tend to do with Paul's letters what we do with a book. When, when you read a book, particularly um, a history or a science book, do you read the acknowledgments? Do you read the, the epilogue at the end? Well, this is no, as I say, no PS, by the way. There are no greetings here. There, there's no travel plans that we read in some of the other letters. There, there are no lists of associates and friends that he would like to either acknowledge or summon to his side. But I think 
even a cursory reading of this paragraph, you will see that there is an urgency to Paul's writing and a passion that comes through on, as we can imagine, at least on the page of the original, and I hope on the page of our hearts as God writes this letter upon it. There is a final rebuke of the agitators here. Paul is still in a polemical mode, but there is also a monumental theological statement that he makes along with a benediction and a prayer. Now, as I call it, the, the nuts and bolts of, of this paragraph is uh, people labeled concentric. It, it's kind of this concentric circles. The, the frame around the paragraph is verses 11 and 18. Paul's signature, if you will, um, where he writes in those large letters and his final prayer for the people of Galatia and I believe by the Spirit's extension to all those who are believers in Christ. But what we see is his pastoral care. We, we see again that urgency and passion that he has for his brethren, for those people who are in Christ with him. I'm in a minority, I know. One of the ancient writers, Chrysostom, is one of the few who believes that Paul, when he writes in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, that he means that he wrote the whole letter. I believe it's one of Paul's early letters, if not the first letter to the churches, and I can imagine that he wrote these by himself. We read in other letters that this, his custom was to put a signature, to write, take up the pen from the amanuensis, as it's called, those he, the person he dictated to, and he would take that pen, and this is kind of his signature, as a signature of his apostolic authority and his concern and personal interest in them as he writes. We have no way of knowing which is true, but we have this, this kind of framework around the conclusion here that tells us that he is deeply concerned about those to whom he is writing. This is, this is no uh, lecture. It is a sermon. It is his concern for his people. We see the rebuke that he gives to the agitators in verses 12 and 13, but that rebuke is, is answered by verse 17, where he says uh, this plea, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Christ. Verses 14 and 15 are an orientation of our hearts and our minds to his, his central rule, his central passion in this passage, and it is rule they are to keep in step with, there's that word again, walking, in this case again, keeping in step with this rule in verse 16. So we see this kind of concentricity in this passage, but even in the passage as a whole, verse 14, this separateness from the world, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me echoes that that we found in the opening paragraph of the book in verse 4, who, to Christ Jesus who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us 
from this present evil age, from that world, and separate us unto himself as a people of his own. And in verse 15, we see that Christ's cross means a freedom. That freedom that Christ set us free for is defined by believers coming into what he calls a new creation. Nothing matters but this new creation. So Galatians begins and ends, I believe, with Paul's anchoring thought, the thing that we have seen periodically through the letter from the beginning to the end, the cross of Christ. Gave himself on that cross for us. And then Paul says, but this is my central thought in this. May it never be, or God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of Christ. For sure, he has said in chapter 6 that we looked at before, that our, our life consists of sowing and reaping. It, it consists of that which the seeds that we sow in this life and what we are to reap because of that sowing. But how do we sow to the Spirit? How, how do we reap eternal life? In other words, what do I do as a Christian? How, how are we supposed to make these things come about? Well, in Paul's preaching in Galatians, particularly chapter 2, verse 16, he has told us, man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. But the agitators have come among them, those who confuse the Galatians by saying, to be truly blessed by God, to be truly a, a, a child of God and connected to Him, you must be circumcised and place yourselves under the law of Moses. But Paul makes this statement, which in first century, I think, shocks, shocks more perhaps than it does in our day. But it is a statement that offends many, even in our day. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Stott writes, this is the meaning of of boast or to glory. He says it means to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Paul was obsessed by the glory of the cross of Christ. Notice that he does not say, I glory in the teachings of Christ, or I glory in the thought of, of imitating Christ, of walking in his steps. He, he doesn't say, I, I glory in uh, looking at the, the manner of Christ and, and, and emulating how he loved others. He says, I glory in the cross of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, The Cross, says the cross has changed everything for him. The cross changed everything. It, it made all the difference to him. The cross is not a popular topic in our world today. In his world, Paul's world, it was something to be shunned. It was something that was not even spoken of in, in polite society. The idea of the cross was just horrid. 
But the cross is front and center in the New Testament. A few examples, if you would permit me. Matthew chapter 16, we normally think of, of Peter, right? And where, where, where Jesus asks that, that all-important question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers correctly, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the passage goes on to tell us that from that time on, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must suffer and be killed and be raised again. His focus was on the cross. Even in that great confession, in that great gathering of his disciples, in that great moment of revelation, you are the Christ, yes, and the Christ must suffer and die on the cross. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus, we see Jesus transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And, and remember, they're, they're, the glory of Christ is, is so that they can't even look. And who appears with Jesus but Moses and Elijah? And what did these Old Testament giants of the law and the prophet, Moses and Elijah, what did they talk about with Jesus? Well, the hint that we have is that when they, the event was over and they were descending the mountain, he gave them orders not to tell anyone about this until what? Until the Son of Man should rise from the dead. I think that Jesus and Moses and Elijah talked about the cross. In Romans chapter 3, the chapter that tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And how are we justified? He says we are justified in Christ Jesus whom God displayed as a propitiation in His blood. The cross. In 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ, he says. We preach Christ and Him crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. See, it, it was something horrid in their day. The, the Jews, I mean, who ever heard of a dead Savior? Is there ever an oxymoron bigger than that? A Savior who died. Who ever heard of a conquering king, a champion, dying a criminal death? To glory in the cross was cringeworthy in that day, and it's not very popular in our day, is it? The cross has become a symbol, but the cross is not thought of. They don't take the words of Isaac Watts in his hymn, I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. All the vain things that harm me most. And I can't remember how it goes after that. The cross meant something to Paul. In our day, it's a symbol. In our day, it's become a talisman or, a, or something to, to rub, a good luck charm. To glory in the cross was to say, Paul, you're glorying in that violent, shameful, humiliating death. And Paul is saying, well, there are only two choices. You can choose to glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can choose to glory in anything else. But God forbid, he says, that I should boast in anything else except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is a test. It's, as Lloyd-Jones calls it, the acid test of Christianity. Is there anything in your mind that is more glorying, more worthy of your obsession, of you living for, of you rejoicing in, of you boasting in, than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Either the cross is above everything else that we glory in, or it is an offense to us. Because the cross passes judgment on us. The cross divides mankind. It's either something we glory in, or it's an offense to us. And yes, there are those who would say, no, it doesn't bother me at all. But if you do not glory in the cross, then there is something else that you rejoice in, that you obsess over, that you live for. <coughs> the cross is offensive to man because it messes with his mind and it messes with his heart. The problem with man is his pride. His pride and his intellect. The cross? Really? I am supposed to understand that a man died on a wooden bar with nails in his hands and feet, and that saves me? I can't believe that. My, my mind just can't wrap, myself around, wrap itself around that. What? I need to believe in a man who died a shameful criminal death? That he is the one who saved it? No, no, I, I, I can do this. There, there's got to be a better way. I will find a way. But the message of the gospel is just the opposite. And Paul says, I rejoice in it. Romans 5 says, But God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what the world does not understand. It is that our boast. Without the cross, there, there is no boasting. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, there is no living. There is nothing worth living for. We, we, we try, man tries all the ways that he can. You must be educated. We must, um, you know, we, we must try harder. We must change society. And then, then we will achieve. I, like you, read and listened to some of the stories about the school shooting in Texas this week. And I was doing something else as the radio was on, and I may have misunderstood what this politician said, but this is what I believe that I heard him say. That he called the shooting an evil, which it is. But he said, we will not stop protesting, we will not stop going to Congress until we have found, quote, a legislative solution to this evil. Boy, a legislative solution to evil is, is totally the opposite of the cross. Solutions to the evil of man, to mankind, and to God will not be found in City Hall. They will not be found in the Supreme Court. 
It will not be found on Capitol Hill. It can only be found on that other hill, the hill called Golgotha at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But people say, well, why did Christ have to die? Why couldn't he just forgive us? Because God is a holy God and man is an unholy man. Man walks, as Paul has told us, according to the flesh. What is walking according to the flesh? It's walking in rebellion to God and to His commandments. We've broken that relationship between ourselves and God. Sin is what has broken it. And for sin, there is judgment and punishment. Why doesn't God just forgive us? Because His righteous judgment his righteous justice and his hatred for sin will not allow him to do that. There must be justice. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So we go to the cross. The only place where man can find redemption. It's the only place where man can find blessings of any kind. It is at the cross where we are regenerated. It's at the cross where our sins are forgiven. It's at the cross where our penalty has been paid. It's at the cross where we are reconciled to God and where we become born again. We become that new creation. Why is Paul glory in the cross? He glories in the cross because of what it shows him. It shows him who he is The glory of God is in the cross. The glory of God in its conception, in its design, in its righteousness. The, the triune God is revealed in the cross. The power that raised Christ from the dead. The holiness of the Father. Now the coming of the Holy Spirit. Isaac Watts again in that beautiful hymn, The Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died. He shows us that amazing paradox. The Prince of Glory who died to save sinners. That amazing paradox and that amazing love. The cross shows us that man who the scriptures call before all things and in him all things hold together gave his life for his people. The cross shows us that that man, Jesus, who the scriptures called by the grace of God, tasted death for everyone. Paul sees that in the cross. He sees the glory of God in the face of Christ. But he also sees what man ought to be like. He sees the one who humbled himself and became obedient even to death. That sinless one who glorified the Father in the face of reviling, in the face of mocking, in the face of the insults. But he also knows that that is the only way, place where he can be saved. In Romans 5, again, we read, For a while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Paul saw that here was salvation. Paul saw that here was new life. 
Paul saw that everything became new. He says, the world was crucified to me and I to the world. He saw what was done to him and he saw what was done for him. The cross crucified the world. It put it to death. That's what crucify means. Life from in the world means life from the point of view of living apart from God. Living without God. That's what he means by the world. And Paul says, this was done for me. The cross crucified the world to me. The cross crucified the world and put it to death. That the world has nothing on me. It has no influence to me. It has no dominion over me. In 1 John chapter 2, we see that Paul was delivered from these things. And yes, they are still a continual struggle, but they have no dominion upon us. John writes in his letter, first letter, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. For all that is in the world, what is that? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And Paul says, The cross crucified the world to me. Yes, it's still a struggle, but it does not hold me in its grip. Paul is also concerned, as Jesus was concerned, that we be crucified to the world, as well as the world crucified to us. Jesus taught us in Mark chapter 8. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Why does Paul glory in the cross? Because he sees that it deals with his soul. Not just his life. Not just the way he feels and the things that go on around him. But into his very soul. The cross saves us from the destruction of the world in the day of judgment. It saves us out of, delivers us out of, as he says in chapter 1, the dominion of this evil age. The world and its world. There is a transforming character to the cross. There is this everythingness to the cross. There are those, again, who would object even in the Christian church. Why do you always talk about the cross? Let's talk about love. Let's, let's, let's talk about how we can be better citizens. Let's talk about these things. But Paul says, the only thing I boast in is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is everything to Him. Many years ago, probably 16 or 17 years ago, I was preaching from the book of 1 Corinthians. And I don't know whether it was that day of the sermon when we came to Paul's passage, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. But there was a visitor who had attended our church for maybe two or three weeks. And after the sermon was done, they came up to me and they said, you know, I started attending this church because I'm really trying to find a church where you hear a different kind of sermon. Well, what do you mean? They said, well, I was hoping to, to hear a sermon about the seven ways to improve your marriage. 
And I hate and I shudder to think of the, the answer that I may have given then. But now I would say, well, what Paul says I think is true. And ought to hold true for us, we preach Christ and Him crucified. And even if we were preaching on marriage, and I don't think you'll ever hear a sermon entitled from any of the three elders, The Seven Ways to Improve Your Marriage, is I would have to take them to Ephesians chapter 5, and I would take them to the passage that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Even marriage, if you would be married, if you would improve your marriage, there are no seven steps, there's only one. The foundation of marriage is to learn the way of the cross. And Paul attacks those who would not see eye to eye with him on this. In this passage, we do have his continued rebuke of the Judaizers, the agitators. In verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, I don't know how you read it. When I read this passage, there are three things that he characterizes these people for. And there are those who want to make this about the, the Jews and the boundaries and the eating and should Jews and Gentiles eat together. I, I, I don't see Paul and his passion being that patient or that mamby-pamby. They are self-centered, hypocritical cowards. They are putting pressure on the Galatians to be circumcised and live like Jews that they're out for their own name. They're out for themselves. They're out to, to celebrate their own success. And what is their motive there? They want to avoid the cross of Christ. They, they don't want to be seen as preaching the cross of Christ. They are at least as an exclusive. They want to say we add something to it. And there were those who, who would criticize them perhaps even ostracize them from their fellowship for not insisting that believers be circumcised. If they gloried only in the cross of Christ, then they would not be accepted. They were afraid to preach Christ and Him crucified only because of what others would think. And Paul uses the phrase, those who make a good showing. And he echoes that in verse 16 with those who walk by this rule. Do you see the opposition, the antithesis here? Those who would be insisting on circumcision are those who would be compelling them to be circumcised. Now he says, those who would walk by this rule, who would keep in step with this idea, who would keep in step with the Spirit, who would sow to the Spirit, who would make the cross their boast. True peace and mercy would be upon them to walk by this rule. And then he adds, and upon the Israel of God. And I will not pretend to understand that I know what the Israel of God means. I do not find anywhere in the scriptures where Paul uses that theocratic name, that name given to the Jewish nation, that name that, that Isaac got, or Jacob 
Jacob got from the Lord Israel in speaking of the whole church. I believe that what we see here is that Paul does acknowledge there are two Israels. There is the Israel of the flesh and there is the Israel of God. And whether he's lumping all believers in here, I don't know. The word and makes me believe in this sentence, in its context, that when he says, all who walk by this rule and the Israel of God, he does lump them together, but in the context of what? Peace and mercy. Because how do people have peace with God? Only through the cross of Christ. How do people have peace with one another? How are they joined together as brothers and sisters? Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus you were formerly, who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by good works, by the law of Moses, by just getting along. No. By the blood of Christ. The cross. Peace and mercy. You would be joined together in peace because you're brothers and sisters in Christ because of the cross. And now he rebukes them for their insincerity. He rebukes them for wanting to, to gain this for themselves. They're not even able, he says, to keep the law, but they take pride in your flesh. They take pride in their power to persuade you in their human reasoning. And Paul says they, they glory in their circumcision. Perhaps as one author crassly put it, these are the folks who label themselves as the circumcision party and their tagline, we're a cut above the rest. And Paul says, no, no, you're insincere, you're hypocritical, you are cowards because you cower, your cowardice is in relation to the cross of Christ. He says, for neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision but a new creation. I look at it and say, say circumcision isn't helpful. And earned circumcision is it's not harmful that you're not circumcised. But what does matter? Not these worldly values, not these things that are the appearance of righteousness, the appearance of holiness. Douglas Moo writes in his commentary, the coming of Christ introduces a whole new state of affairs in the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, we have that great passage, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, the old new things have come. Believers have been removed from the dominion of the world and its powers. They are participants in this transformation, this transformed creation at the coming of Christ. They live in the world, but they live in a world-changing reality that it is brought about by the crucifixion of Christ. And now, Paul can say to them, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now he can have this grace wish. 
that the favor and grace, what does it mean? The favor shown to people who have no right and no claim whatsoever to that favor. And here, notice that he uses the full appellation of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace is in connection with Christ. It's in connection to Jesus as Lord, as Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, who would save his people from their sins. Jesus as Jesus, as I could, if I could borrow the phrase from A.W. Tozer, our man in glory. Our grace is in connection with him. And notice that his prayer is aimed not at our heart, not at our head, but at our spirit. Keeping in mind that as a brother in Christ to them, he understands their real need. That in your spirit you would understand the glory and the majesty, the spectacle, the wonder that is the cross of Christ. And for sure we are tempted to glory in our own accomplishments, are we not? We build monuments to ourselves, or at least we adorn our business card with something that says, this is my position, this is who I am. Or perhaps we glory in our own faithfulness to keep the commandments, or to keep the duties or the legal traditions that we think we ought to do. But the question is, are we glorying in ourselves, or do we glory solely obsessively, rejoicingly in the cross of Christ. Can we truly say with Paul, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, these, these things are high. And they are wonderful and they are awesome we ask that you would allow us to get a grip upon them, that we may walk in them, that we may truly be as Paul, that we would, would realize where we are because of the cross, who we are because of the cross, a new creation, and that we would walk that way, that we would not be afraid, but we would also be humble, knowing that it wasn't law-keeping, it wasn't our doing. It wasn't because of who we were born as or our family or our lineage, but because of the cross of Christ. That He took upon Himself flesh and humbled Himself and became obedient even unto death. We thank You for these things. We are in awe of these things. May You use these things to build up Your church for His glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Please rise for the benediction. I will read again Paul's benediction and prayer. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen.